So uh, this this guy's name was Herschel Williams. Kind of a kind of an interesting story. I knew I knew nothing about him until recently. He was born in West Virginia in 1923. He was the youngest of eleven. He weighed three and a half pounds at birth. Was absolutely not expected to live. This was 1923. They lived in a uh, on a dairy farm. His family did in this very remote part of West Virginia, nowhere near a hospital. Right prior to his birth, and I guess in the day or two following, there were these series of tornadoes that were kind of devastating the area. That's what kept the doctor from getting there. So this baby was born three and a half pounds and three days before a doctor even showed. But ultimately, this doctor went uh, despite being told not to because of uh, more of these tornadoes were anticipated. So, like, absolutely dangerous for this guy to be traveling. Um, but he went despite that, and he saved this baby's life. The doctor's name was Herschel. So that's what the mother named this little boy, um, Herschel. She also had 11 kids. She probably was running out of names. Um, Fast forward uh, 18 years, it's now the fall of uh, 1942. Herschel, which everybody now called Woody, he tries to join the Marines, but he's rejected because he's too short. He was five foot six, and uh, yeah, he was too short for the Marines. So he left very discouraged, and about two or three months later, he goes back. Uh, tries again, and for whatever reason, he's accepted the second time. Three years after that, he's landing on the beaches of Iwo Jima. It's February of 1945. I don't know a lot about history, not nearly as much as I should, so here's the, you know, the idiot's summary of what happened next. The Japanese apparently had built these on Iwo Jima, these... Uh, this incredible uh, network of concrete bunkers. They call them pillboxes. They were, uh, you could picture like a square concrete box. It could hold four or five people. And they're all over the island. And they've just got these, within them, they've got these small holes which, you know, rifles and guns, et cetera, can, can go through to shoot at the enemy. Um, they were connected, these bunkers, by this network of tunnels. So the Japanese were able to get to each other. We couldn't see them. And they were kind of impenetrable, these pillboxes, these bunkers. So as we're landing on the beach, they're just picking us off. They have complete cover and protection, and we're completely exposed and vulnerable. So, we're being slaughtered on the beach. We had these tanks which were there, but we, they needed to move inland in order to ultimately take the island. And we just couldn't penetrate these bunkers. So the ta uh, tanks are kind of useless. This guy, Woody Williams, who's a sergeant, and five other Marines are sent to detonate these bunkers kind of a suicide mission. They've got to uh, stop this bloodbath on the beach and create a path 
for these tanks. All five of the six were killed almost immediately. This guy, Woody Williams, is the last, the only survivor. And he then begins this four-hour, not-to-be-believed ordeal. He starts blowing up these, or detonating these bunkers. He's got a uh, flamethrower. That's the weapon he's got. So he keeps, he keeps making his way up to these bunkers, blowing them up. He makes his way back to his own lines to kind of refuel and recharge, and he keeps going back. Japanese soldiers are running at him repeatedly with bayonets. He's fighting with them. He's killing them. He continues to take out these bunkers. After four hours, he disables enough of them so the tanks got through. Ultimately, we took the island. They say if you made a movie about what he did, you wouldn't believe it. Like it was just too much. Like superhero-like what this guy did. He was awarded the, uh, the Medal of Honor. In fact, he was the last living recipient, World War II recipient of the Medal of Honor. He died on Wednesday. He was 98 years old. He was sent by his captain to do something great. And he did. So were we. So were we sent. We just heard it. At that time, the Lord appointed 72 others whom he sent ahead of him. Hey, most of us are not Iwo Jima sent. We're not Medal of Honor sent. But we are sent. Justice sent. You know, remember the, the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go? They say that book, every May and June, goes back up onto the uh, bestseller charts because it's a gift every well, not every, but kindergartners who, grow, who, who are moving up or graduating and high school seniors and college seniors, everybody gives these graduates that book. The Places You'll Go. These are the first lines of that book. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. God's always sending us places. I think... To me, it seems to me, the question is, maybe it's two questions about this whole sending thing. Number one, do we go? Do we accept our marching orders? Do we even give thought to what our marching orders probably are? And here's number two. Do you see God in the order? Do you see God at work in the sending you know, my dad was in the service as well, uh, the Korean War. And it was right at the end of the war. Um, he was sent to uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. He never even got to Korea. The, fortunately, the, uh, the fighting had stopped right about when he uh, was drafted. When he was in Louisiana, my dad made friends, really best friends, with this guy, uh, 
His name was Gus Warnock. He was from Brooklyn, as was my father. They didn't know each other prior to Louisiana. But they became close friends. We called him Uncle Gus. I mean, he wasn't blood, but we kind of saw him as an uncle. Anyway, when he got, was getting married, my father and three other war buddies were invited to the wedding. Three of those four bailed at the last minute. So my father was left kind of standing alone, like he was going to be the only person going, and he really knew nobody else at this reception. So he was going to bail. My father's sister, my future Aunt Helen, heard about this. She heard that he was going to blow off the wedding. So she started giving him grief, and she said, you can't do that. He's your best friend. You got to go. So he went. And at the reception, he met Maureen Brennan, my future mom. Man, I'm very glad Aunt Helen pushed my dad to go to that wedding. You know, we all, don't we, don't you do those what-ifs? You look at your life, you look at some of the most significant decisions, moments, events of your life, you look at them and you're like, man, like they're so defining and you totally connect God to them. But when you kind of trace it back, it, like, it seems kind of sometimes almost like a mistake. But it happened. And you can't imagine life without that person or that event or that decision. Seems to me these are all just examples of being sent. It's the what ifs. What if my father never met Gus Warnock? What if my father wasn't sent to Louisiana? He certainly wouldn't have met, met Gus, and he never would have gone to his wedding. What if his sister, my dad's sister, didn't push him to go? What if Woody Williams gave up after being rejected by the Marines the first time? How things would have been different for how many on those beaches? What if that doctor who was told, don't go through this tornado, what if he listened to the advice? That baby dies. You know, it's, it's George Bailey, isn't it? It's a, it's a wonderful life. It's the, that question. What our lives would be like, you know, if either we weren't here or we, we made different choices. I think it's a lot about this sending thing being sent by God places. Yeah, it's not Iwo Jima dramatic, but God is just as much there in our stories, in our sendings. I remember hearing, reading this story about a, a hairdresser. This guy owned a, a hair salon. And this woman came in who he knew well. She was a regular customer. But he was surprised to see her that day because... Uh, She'd only been in about a, a week and a half before, got her hair done. She used to come maybe once a month, so he was sort of like, wow, like, I wasn't expecting you. He figured something was going on. She was, maybe she was going to a wedding or whatever. So he asked her, and uh, she said, no, no, nothing, nothing going on. I just, I just wanted to look good. So he's like, great, you know, okay. So she sat down, and he does her hair. They have a nice conversation she leaves and she pays him 
And as she's leaving, she hugs him. Like a, a goodbye hug. And he was struck by that because she never did that. She never hugged him when he, she left. But, you know, he didn't think much about it. Four days later, he gets this note from this woman. And she's thanking him for that day. Not so much for the haircut, but for the time. For him. For his kindness and his interest. His attention to her. She said in the letter that, you just gave me hope that I was lacking and confidence that had completely disappeared. And because of that, she decided to check herself into a hospital to help her deal with this paralyzing, suicidal depression. Her plan that afternoon was to take her life. And some kind of strange sense of things, she just wanted things in order. So she thought, let me get my hair cut. She said to him in the note, thank you for being there without knowing that you were there. I think that guy was sent. Would the gospel say? At that time, the Lord appointed 72 others whom, were sent, whom he sent ahead of him. That hairdresser was one of the 72, and so are we. When we bring Jesus' spirit and Jesus' power and Jesus' attitude to the people to whom we're sent. And maybe it's, maybe it's a hair salon. For most of us, it's never going to be Iwo Jima. It's not going to be Medal of Honor stuff. It's an interesting story. It's inspiring, but it's not really going to be any of us, I hope. So chances are it's more like the hair salon. Or wherever we go, wherever we work, the people we encounter... Do we treat them as if we're being sent by him to them? Interesting, though, you know, he sends us, but he doesn't force us. We choose to be sent or not. You know, it's the great Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. You remember that from high school? Are we doing what he wants? It is maybe the question. Have you accepted your marching orders? Am I going in the direction he wants to send me? Or am I making my own path? One of least resistance, one that's easy, one that's soft, one that's comfortable, but one that's untrue and absolutely lacking courage. It's the poem. It's Robert Frost. This is what he says. It shall be, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. The one less traveled by is exactly where he sends us. The one less traveled by is the one he wants us on. Because that's where great things happen. Most people say no to that path. Don't be most. Take the other road. Be sent. And be the difference.